Dude, it's always fucking Florida. I can't think of anything that comes out of Florida that's good. Hello! Welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we traverse tumultuous time continuities, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I am joined by my co-host, the dastardly dog dad, Mike Thompson. That's a fair description. <laughs> that was a segue. We need to talk about your newest acquisition. About what, what, Mo? No, we've talked about Mo. What was your newest acquisition in relation to the, the, the squad? Oh, right. <laughs> we bought a dog wagon over the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, you did. And then I've already busted it out and taken them all over the neighborhood and to the beach. I think it was proven to be a wise investment when this neighbor who we'd never seen before stopped his car in the middle of the road and yelled at us about how cute he thought it was. He was like, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. He's this big old dude. I'm like, I, I'm on board with this. All right. Success. That's amazing. It was very wholesome. Well, I think Michael have to post at least one or two pictures of... The dogs. Yeah, no, we can absolutely week's. post photos of the dogs in this episode's uh, transcript. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. Today, we'll be discussing The Boy of Steel. Superboy. While there are many variations of this character, we're going to be focusing on the OG comics from 1944 to 69 as the ones that we talk about, but we will also just briefly touch upon the other comics, TV shows, and movies sporting the same character, as well as touch upon the absolute nightmare that is the timeline continuity, or lack thereof, that is Superman's life story. But before we do that, what is one cool thing that you've read or watched lately? Sarah and I have been watching a show called Motherland Fort Salem. Have you heard of this? I have. I was interested. Should I start it? Yeah, we really dig okay. it. It's on Freeform, but it's streaming on Hulu. It takes place in this world where the United States stopped hunting witches 300 years ago, and there was something called the Salem Accord signed. So now we have a world that's dominated by the USA and witches make up, as far as I can tell, the entirety of its armed forces. Oh, snap. It's really cool. And the whole thing is magic is based on sound and resonance. And it's really a unique spin on things. But the show follows these three young witches who are recruited into the army and then start navigating their way through it and the larger society that's a part of the military. And it's very comic booky in terms of its plotting and character development and then the meta narrative as well. It's really cool and it's really diverse in terms of casting. The storylines are really thoughtful in a lot of ways and it's very queer, like extremely queer. Yes. And the show's in the middle of its second season and it's gotten much better. Like, I mean, it was already it was already very good, but it feels like the second season, they really got to kick things up and they've really upped the creep factor. There's a whole thing about witch hunters reemerging and kind of striking back at witches and, and riling up public sentiment. It feels very topical. 
And then the whole thing is that because witches get their powers from the sound of their voice, what these witch hunters are doing is they're actually like cutting out witches' voice boxes and then weaponizing <gasps> them. It's really cool and really creepy, and I really like it. Oh, damn. That is like horrific and like, wow, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. Sarah and I have been really, really enjoying it, and it's definitely something that we put on when the kids aren't around, obviously. But Oh, yeah. But it's really solid. So yeah, not a comic book this time, but certainly something that I think a lot of comic book fans would enjoy. How about you? Well, once again, Lauren from Outer Plains in Santa Rosa comes through on the recommendations. Nice. Because she suggested the image series Man Eaters, The Cursed. Hmm. It's so fun. It starts off with 15-year-old Maude being forced to go to summer camp so her parents can go on this romantic vacation by themselves without her. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. Relatable, Mom and Dad. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, and it's so funny because they put these fun little, like, it's almost like little artifacts in there for you. So they have the registration card where they're registering her mm-hmm. and so it's like will you be on vacation while your child is at camp and it's like yes <laughs> like it literally asks that as a question <laughs> like it's expected good it's pretty funny uh wh- another thing i found that's really funny is they had the campers have these buttons they're like warning buttons for insurance purposes and they say things like sleepwalker or lice or like oh, gemini no. <laughs> which like being a gemini myself like absolutely issue some warnings like (laughs) i love it and i love that there is one male character so far in this and he's the least prepared for everything and maude totally roasts him a couple of times again relatable because (laughs) the one who does all the home repairs around here it ain't me (laughs) oh my gosh so yeah no i added that to my pull list yeah that sounds great all right well welcome to another episode of jessica's estate sale finds this week we'll be looking at superboy the comics and i'm gonna run us through the timeline of the comics as they came out along with Mm -hmm. the tv shows and movies that were associated with those. So a lot of this is going to be like informational about when the comic came about and the character Superboy as Kal-El. I'm super excited. There was a lot to it. And actually there was a lot of different <laughs> weird inconsistencies that we're definitely going to get into, as I've already hinted at, that yeah. I think you'll find very funny. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Before I get too deep into this topic, I want to give a shout out to the resources that I use to compile my information today an article from dc on dccomics.com fan news blog by megan downey titled reign of the superboys the strange history of the boy of steel the wikipedia article on superboy a blog post on captaincomics.ning.com in a forum called the comics roundtable by a user named commander benson titled deck log entry number 176 superboy the time of his life and IMDb. For those of you who are somehow unfamiliar with the basic storyline of Superboy's origins, not to be confused with Superman's origins, which he swoops in a little bit differently initially in the comics than this. 
But Kal-El, in this instance, was sent to Earth by his parents before their home planet of Krypton was destroyed. He was discovered in the crater left by his arrival by locals Martha and Jonathan Kent, who adopted him, raising him as their own son and naming him Clark. At age eight, Clark is told how he was found and finds out more about his origins from Krypton. Martha makes him an indestructible suit out of a blanket that he was found with one that came from Krypton and is imbued with the same powers that he himself holds. And it's basically just like Superman fucking around and not being in school. Yeah, it almost entirely takes place in Smallville, which it's kind of like the DC Universe version of Cabot Cove from Murder, She Wrote, where you're just like, how many Absolutely. fucking people die in this town? <laughs> you know, and in Smallville, it's it's more along the lines of, how many fucking supervillains hang out in this town in the middle of nowhere, Kansas? That's just it. What is it, a convention? I guess. Oh. So Superboy, as a character, was created by Joe Schuster and Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel in 1938, but was rejected twice by Detective Comics before the growing popularity of the comic Robin, the Boy Wonder, finally convinced them to change their stance, and they then decided to use it to try to relate to a younger readership with a younger character. Which makes sense. Thus, Superboy made his comic debut in 1945, but just as a feature in the anthology More Fun Comics issue number 101. Now, of course it wouldn't be comics without a little bit of drama. Schuster had assistance from Don Cameron instead of Siegel, as Siegel was serving in World War II and stationed in Hawaii. And he actually had to hear about Superboy's inaugural publication through a letter from Schuster. DC didn't send him any notification, nor was he able to actively participate in the trajectory of the plot line wow. since he was serving. It was kind of a fuck you. Eek. So considering <laughs> how heavily Superman was a part of propaganda, like there yeah. there is literally a cover of Superman running a printing press that says i think it says like help slap a jap yeah oh oh that hurt me yeah Yikes. like i mean no superman was very much part of world war Two propaganda and that's yeah insane that they wouldn't let one of his creators <laughs> participate in the storylines because he was serving in the oh okay whatever yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. So apparently there was already a rift in Siegel and Schuster's relationship, and so this just increased that strain. After that first issue, Superboy appeared in more fun comics bi-monthly issues through number 107, but was picked up by Adventure Comics debuting in April of 1946. So he was bouncing around. That was issue number 103, and he was the lead feature for the anthology on this one. Hmm. And remained the headlining feature for over 200 issues and continued being featured in Adventure Comics until 1969. That's such a huge, just, that's an incredible run. Yeah, it's a ton of time. And especially considering, like, he had, this was just like a side gig for Superboy, really. He had other stuff going that he was doing. Yeah, I do know that at one point in the 60s, Superboy was, I believe, the number two comic in America, and the only one that was doing more than that was Superman. 
you it's like you were reading ahead no seriously <laughs> that's in my notes <laughs> oh really okay cool yeah 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 no and actually it was frequently number two we'll just get to it now it was frequently number two for a lot of its run yeah so notable storylines that we got from the adventure comics were intro to crypto the Superdog, mm-hmm. the origin story of his rivalry with lex luther which that continues pretty far so it's interesting that they like created the origin story here yeah they had like teenage lex luther show up in smallville right yeah yes yes correct back when he had hair he had hair yep. yeah <laughs> yeah and that's something that's uh continued up until modern times as well mark wade's birthright i know did that where it basically it revealed that clark kent had been for a short time friends with lex oh wow yeah of course they had to be friends before they were enemies frenemies mm. There was also the debut of the 30th century superhero team, the Legion of Superheroes. As Superboy continued to frequent the pages of anthology comics, in April of 1949, he became the sixth superhero to get his own comic book and was the first new superhero title to succeed after World War II. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Right? Like both of those facts. I had no idea that there were only six superhero comics back then. Yeah, not with their own titles. Yeah, I mean, that's wild. Totally. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. Notable storylines from this namesake comic were intro to Lana Lang and Pete Ross, the storyline of the first Bizarro, and first appearances of Legion of Superheroes characters Mon-El and Ultra Boy. He also appeared in Legion of Superheroes Volume 1, which was printed as an anthology. Superboy itself continued until 1976, when the comic was renamed Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Superboy was involved in the storyline until issue number 259, when he leaves after learning new information regarding the death of his parents. (laughs) Dramatics. Yeah, I, I haven't read a lot of those, but the idea is that he's displaced through time and he winds up hanging out with the Legion for a while. And then, if I remember right, Supergirl winds up joining the Legion after a while, too. Basically, so they can have kind of a headliner. I smell them trying to fix a time continuum. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, maybe I'm biased based on the research I've been doing. The series was then retitled Legion of Superheroes Volume 2 and ended with issue number 354 in 1979. There was also a three-part miniseries called Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes that was published in 1981. And despite the general decline of superhero readership, Superboy's popularity continued to grow. And Adventure Comics and Superboy frequently sold over a million copies combined. That's an insane amount of comics these days. You know, back then, that was wild. I mean, it definitely groundbreaking for its time, I would say. Mm-hmm. It was, it sounded like it was huge. Yeah. The popularity may also have been due to the fact that Superboy was found on more than just comic book stands. He was also on the TV and in the movies. He appeared in a 26 minute movie called The Adventures of Superboy and multiple six-minute episodes airing with the new Adventures of Superman, which aired from 1966 to 70, the Superman-Aquaman Hour of Adventure from 67 to 68, and the Batman-Superman Hour, 68 to 69. 
all of which were just continuations or within that same world as the initial comic book. Right. And those were all animated series too, I think, right? They were. Yeah. They were. Mm-hmm. And here's something fun for you to watch if you wanted to click on that link. Okay. Superboy! Exciting <laughs> stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrate powers and abilities far beyond the I love the image of like infant Superboy just lifting a piano very patriotic <laughs> yeah I, I love the fact that they have crypto in there like, I've always had a soft spot for crypto. I am a little offended that his cowlick isn't in the shape of an S, though. Okay. Come on, guys. You know, this is an amateur hour. Missed opportunity. Right. But yeah, that was super cute. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah, so I can I could see kids get getting really excited yeah. about seeing that, and then they walk by the newsstand and they go, I just saw that on TV. Yeah, exactly. So I think they had a good thing going with that at that point. Oh, 100%. So that was in the 60s, you said, right? Yes. So that was right when television was becoming the dominant form of entertainment in the United States. I think by 1959 or 1960, it was something like 90% of households in America had televisions. And Saturday morning cartoons were starting to become a thing, which, by the way, you guys should go back and listen to that episode about Saturday morning cartoons. It's our first episode, and we talk all about the evolution of that and how it connected with comics. It was a fun one. Yeah. So pretty much right after the Legion of Superheroes Volume 2 ended, The New Adventures of Superboy was published in 1984. That had 54 published issues. Okay. That's a respectable run. Yeah. It's fine. It's not anything too wild. Yeah. yeah. In 1985, DC tried to tie up some of those pesky plot holes that we are going to discuss later on for sure. Hmm. By creating a comic that told the story of Clark Kent's transitional years in college at Metropolis University, going from Superboy effectively to Superman. And while this was supposed to last for 12 installments, they only ended up publishing six, mostly due to the fact that Crisis on Infinite Earths was published. I was about to ask, yeah. Yep. That actually featured the erasure of Superboy yeah. <laughs> in yet another attempt to correct a timeline. <laughs> well, Crisis on Infinite Earths was the first real attempt by DC to sit there and stream everything into a coherent timeline. And at the same time, they had John Burns' The Man of Steel, which came out, I think, right after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And that also streamlined Superman's very convoluted history. The problem is, is that by that point in time, you had almost 50 years of continuity, which made no fucking sense. And we'll discuss it later, but there wasn't necessarily a need for continuity. No. Back in the day. Mm -mm. I mean, they didn't have to have it. They were just there for like, we're doing this adventure. This is fun. Yeah. We're going to, going to enjoy it. And there wasn't a feeling that you had to necessarily link it with what came before it or what was going coming after it right in the same way that we want now as readers and as fans we want everything to make sense because we want more of the story in that way we want that overarching meta plot exactly exactly so despite 
DC's attempt to write Superboy out of the universe completely. He appeared once again in Legion of Superheroes Volume 3, which ran from 86 to 87. And while Crisis on Infinite Earths had erased Superboy to some extent in other time continuations, they now needed to recreate him in order to have a cohesive storyline for Legion of Superheroes. God. (laughs) So they were like, what are we going to do? Oh, I know, Pocket Universe. Why not? So, why not? So in this version, it's set in a pocket universe created by the villain Time Trapper. Oh, what a creative name. I think the Time Trapper... (laughs) So the Time Trapper is like a villain who has had multiple identities. It's like the the same villain ultimately, but it's different people wind up becoming the Time Trapper. And I think Superboy became the Time Trapper at some point. This doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah. Don't, Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that happened uh, during one of their big crossovers. Oh, no. Comic books are dumb, and I love them. (laughs) I do, too. This is actually part of the reason I really do like them, because I like seeing all of these little differences. It doesn't make me mad. I just find it very funny. Yeah. So the Time Trapper created a pocket universe, and then they used him to bring Superboy back. Yeah, exactly. And so he, but here's the funny part. He was really just like a sideline character in this. He came in in issue 24 and he was killed off in 38. (laughs) Superboy was killed. Okay. I'm not going to ask questions. Because he had to like sacrifice himself to save the world. I mean, that's, you know, common Uh, trend in these, right? Of course. It was convenient. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was convenient, if not obvious. (laughs) Okay. Superboy apparently would not, could not be stopped. As was apparent in 1988 with not only a comic publication, but also a TV appearance once again. This time live action. I remember that show. Yeah. It was here and that was gone. It lasted for a couple of seasons, but I think they had a couple of different actors play Superboy. They did, yeah. So it was four seasons. Yeah. And it started out starring John Hames Newton for season one and then recast and replaced for the remainder of the four seasons. So the rest of the three by Gerard Christopher. Oops. So that was a 22 minute runtime, pretty normal for that time. Mm-hmm. But there again, it went along with the same year that the Superboy volume two hit the shelves. You know, they did another one of those timing things thinking, hey, it worked, what, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, let's do it again. Yeah, it's that whole transmedia thing. Yeah, exactly. The show ultimately lasted until 1992, the same year a one-shot comic called The Last Superboy was published, but that seemed to be the last dying ember from the fire that is Superboy, as we've talked about up until this point, except one thing... And I know that we want to talk about it a little bit, which is Smallville. And I know we've mentioned it, but I didn't watch that. Did you watch that show? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh, did you? I was all over that show for the first few seasons. Okay. I just really, it was just because I had a crush on Kristen Crook. But unfortunately, she got involved with that horrific Nixium cult. I thought it wasn't her. It was the. It was Allison Mack. Yeah. But she she was involved for a few years. Yeah. Unfortunately. Big yikes. I don't know too much about it. I just know that Allison Mack was one of the big ringleaders for it, and it was wild. She was, yeah. Like, I think she left Smallville to, like, devote herself full-time to that cult. That sounds right. But, yeah. yeah. she She was definitely a big part of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. I've been following that. I really liked Smallville when it first came out. I remember getting so excited when they had a little teaser ad for it where I think it's Kristen Crook is wandering through the darkness and she hears something and turns and then you see Tom Welling step out of the shadows and he says something along the lines, oh, hey, it's just me. It's it's Clark. And then it just says Smallville. And I was like, oh, motherfucker, that's amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it was mm, it was fine. It was very teen angsty, but. They had a lot of deep cuts for comic fans, and I think I stopped watching around season four because it just started to, it felt like it really sort of jumped the shark. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's something I should rewatch. I don't know. Stuff from that time frame is so cringy these days. (sighs) A lot of it's cringy. I remember a whole thing with his heat vision was tied to like him being horny. No, why do you have to do that? It's so unnecessary. But you know what's funny is they actually brought Tom Welling back in the whole DC Arrowverse recently, where they have a version of Lex Luthor who's traveling the multiverse, and he shows up at <laughs> he shows up at the the Kent farm, and Tom Welling is there. And I thought it was just <laughs> it was great. It was it was just it was a really cute little nod. That is pretty cute. I do like that. And then. He got all mad because he was trying to suck Superman's powers away. And then it turns out Superman gave up his powers so that he could have a family and a normal life. And then the now powerless Superman pops him in the nose. It was kind of good. That is cute. (laughs) I was fine with this. It was very, it was very wholesome. So there are other iterations of Superboy, but they're not necessarily Clark Kent. And some of them are, but they kind of stray off into a different timeline. And I could have gone down that rabbit hole, but. Yeah. You know, I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) We are. (laughs) That's fine. So I also know that I more than hinted, we've talked about a little bit, uh, the continuity troubles that plagued Superboy. Right. I got to say, some of these transgressions are just capital b-a-d bad (laughs) (laughs) but they get a bit of a pass again you know like i said because comics at that point really didn't hinge on a time continuum right that wasn't a thing no it wasn't so we got to give them a little bit of credit except when they actually started figuring it out and they still did absolutely nothing about it which is what we're going to talk about okay because after superman They kind of figured out, oh, people are wanting more of a storyline and we've already given Superman kind of a time frame. Mm -hmm. And now this has to be Superboy, so it needs to be earlier. So they were like, okay, Superboy is from the 30s. Right. But Superman at that time, I think, was supposed to be set in the 60s or the 50s and the math did not add. Right. (laughs) At all to get to that point. So right out the bat. You just, you're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) About the dates. What's even more funny to me is that in the first iterations of the Superman comic, the origin story is always that the first time he came to Earth was when he came to Metropolis, like as a full ass adult. Right. So what's, what's up? You know, so that's where it's like, all right, this is already swing. This is convoluted. Yeah. Exactly. So you and I read a couple of comics from the time period of those original comics, and we read them from specifically from 1963. Right. What I love about these is you could actually, at that, I, I don't, maybe they still do this. I haven't seen it yet in my comics. You could write in and they would publish the comments and the editor. Oh, they still do this. Yeah. Would. 
they still do this? Okay, cool. Yeah. So the editor writes a comment back. Yeah. So we have a few of these. Okay. And I would love for you to read them for us. Okay. So we have a few of these here. The first one says, Dear Editor, since Superman was a Superboy before World War II and television sets weren't perfected and sold to the public until after World War II, how come you show TV roof antennas in Superboy stories? Kevin Heron, Tiffin, Ohio. And the editor responded with, You're right, Kevin. We're wrong. We made a boo-boo. Editor. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) The next one is, Dear Editor, How come in Superboy comments you illustrate such modern inventions as A-bombs, atomic subs, jet planes, television, etc., all devices which weren't invented until 1945 or later and which certainly weren't around when Superman was born? Ken Parent, Wheaton, Illinois. The response is, Historians refer to such inconsistencies as anachronisms. They are a necessary form of literary license required to achieve dramatic effects. Movies exercise this option very often. For example, the first umbrella was invented in 1740, yet numerous period films devoted to life in the Middle Ages have shown heroines protecting themselves from the sun with a parasol. Editor. I love how he's getting like a little saltier with his answers. Just a little bit. It's <laughs> the- like, but Webster's Dictionary says. <laughs> God. Yeah, I don't miss those days. These days, usually when you see the letters section of a comic, it's usually people talking about how much something meant to them, or at least in the ones that I read. And it's always really nice. So mm. That's sweet. All right, so the last one. Dear Editor, in the recent story, The Amazing Bizarro, you had Superboy drop an atomic bomb on Bizarro. How is this possible as Superboy's adventures are supposed to have happened before 1945 and scientists had not perfected the A-bomb until 1945? Steve Spangler, Sonoma, California. Boom, representation. That's right down the road from us. The response is, we goofed. From now on, no more A-bombs in Superboy. <laughs> Editor. <laughs> well, that's easy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> At some point, it's like, come on, guys. It's a comic book. Yeah. Like, it's. <laughs> are you really expecting the science fiction comic starring an alien who just happens to look exactly like a human but has more superpowers than God? Is going to be historically and scientifically accurate all the time. Okay, whatever. I don't. I know. I know. I know. I hear you. I do. Well, and what's funny too is at one point, Lana Lang is in a beauty competition and it says 1952. Well, (laughs) it's reassuring to know that nerds were always this nitpicky. Absolutely. It really is, though. Yeah. Okay. So the time inconsistencies didn't end there. As I mentioned, there have been multiple timelines that have been created and destroyed to ensure some kind of consistency in the Superman universe. Right. But whether or not that was actually a success is really anybody's opinion. It's up to the listener. I. But if you're interested in finding out more about this travesty of a timeline, go check out that blog post I mentioned at the top of the episode um, on Captain Comics Presents. It's got a lot more examples of the inconsistencies from those OG comics. Yeah. They're very funny. Yeah, well, okay. One thing I will note is that DC kind of figured this out recently where they ran a series called Doomsday Clock, and it's Dr. Manhattan from the Watchmen universe with Superman. And the very end of it is revealing that there is now a metaverse in DC. 
where it's like, oh yeah, so Superman arrived in the 30s and started being a superhero. You know, and then also he also arrived in the 60s and then he also arrived in the 80s and so on and so forth. And so it it sort of makes sense of that for those people who care. Well, and it's like the same kind of Marvel multiverse that we have going on with that, with the Spider-Mans pointing to each other. Yeah, it, it basically, it takes the concept of a multiverse and then it adds another layer and it does it in a way that feels, mm, I'm not going to say plausible, but it just, it kind of works. And, <laughs> you know, I actually liked it, but that's just me. Yeah. You know what? And what's funny about Superman is I don't like Superman. Yeah. So it's funny that we're doing this whole episode. I just thought it was interesting, these Superboy comics when I saw them. Yeah. And that you're leading this one. Well, and I picked them up because, like, honestly, like, the titles were horrific, and I will have some (laughs) very liberal things to say about them. But, yes, you know, but honestly, what's very funny, even though I hate Superman, I don't know what it was about the Superman symbol that I used to love. And I didn't read the comics. I'd watched the show from the 80s. And I'd seen the Christopher Reeves movies. We loved those. But other than that, I wasn't like huge in the Superman. But if I had gotten a tattoo when I was 18 years old, it would have been a Superman symbol. So I'm very glad. My mom never, she never listens to this. So she will never know that I'm confessing that she talked me out of making a very bad (laughs) tattoo decision because she doesn't need any more gloating rights. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of viewed him like Captain America where I thought he was really boring. And then I realized that if you find the right writer, Superman really, really works. I've come to really enjoy a lot of Superman stories, but, you know, it depends. And I think you're right that I I probably just haven't found the right writer or the right style. And I did recently start, did I start Birthright? I started something recently. I th- think we discussed. I think it was um, Birthright I, based on our conversations. Yeah, yeah. So I will get back into that at some point in time. I just have such a stack now. <laughs> a little obsessed. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no more comics yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> so mike you and i read a couple of these issues that i found at that estate sale right that was Superboy's numbers 109 and 110 so do you want to recap 109 for us yeah okay you've mentioned that these are anthology comics and so superboy at this point in time apparently was having two or three storylines per issue based on the two that we read each one had two different stories in it superboy 109 has the first story is the super youth of bras the title story about the rival super dogs doesn't show up until later which that always surprises me when the cover action isn't the first story and everything else isn't a backup but whatever it's a little confusing, but yeah. okay. The Super Youth of Bras is about how a young Clark Kent winds up sort of becoming friends with another teenage orphan in Smallville named Fred, who's, quote, timid. That's his, like, defining character trait. That's that's all that anybody uses to describe him. And he gets picked on by the town's in-crowd of teenagers. It's revealed that he lives in the Smallville orphanage, which, I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> It, it he like he and like he literally walks back to the orphanage and then Superboy spies on him and he's crying because he overheard people talking about how they didn't want to adopt him because he was too much of a wimp. I'm just like, oh, okay. Thanks for being super toxic. Yeah, Superboy, that's so gross. Superboy winds up deciding to to give him confidence, and so he takes him to a planet called Thraz, 
where Fred gains superpowers from the atmosphere and then Superboy actually loses his over time for reasons that are not really well explained because, you know, Superboy gets his powers from the yellow sun. And then later on, he gets his powers back sort of from the little spacecraft that they brought Fred over in because it had some remnants of Earth's atmosphere, which that's not how science works. I was a history major, and even I can tell you that. (laughs) Anyway, so Superboy has this whole convoluted plot about how if he can get Fred to have superpowers, he'll gain confidence, which Fred sort of does. He eventually saves Superboy's life and then decides to stay on the planet and be a superhero, and he gets offered to be adopted, but he declines the offer for some bizarre reason, something about like, you know, basically he doesn't want to put his foster parents at risk. And Superboy heads home to Earth and has a final thought about how he wouldn't be the person he was if it hadn't been for the Kents. The end. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But the title story, which is the super dog that replaced Crypto, is basically at some point Superboy rescues a dog named Swifty, which looks like a greyhound. Swifty winds up months later tracking down Superboy in Smallville, which means that Superboy didn't even drop this dog off at a shelter. Apparently he just got him out of harm's way and then just left him. So strike one, Supes. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Then Superboy winds up temporarily granting Swifty the same powers that Crypto has. And then it seems like he's testing him out, but it doesn't quite work out that way. Swifty loses his powers. And then he's again, I guess, left alone. He's just, as far as I can tell, he's a homeless dog in Smallville. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. There's a lot of orphans in this story. Yeah. After his powers fade, some villains who were trapped in the Phantom Zone, but cross over and are sort of the Phantom Zone ghosts, wind up trying to take mental control of Superboy and Crypto. They don't have any luck. They are able to influence Swifty. And then they guide him through a process that grants him superpowers. And then I think it also makes him evil, but it's not really well explained. Oh, it's because the phantoms were influencing him. Yeah, but like... so their intentions were like his intentions. So because they had negative vibes against... Superboy, that was I, that's what I got out of it, but it's it's really vague. It's super vague. <laughs> super. <laughs> anyway, Superboy decides to randomly hold a series of tests for Swifty and Crypto to be the new Superdog, and like he does this as opposed it to like just like letting them both help him out. That's what I'm saying. Like it wasn't even to like be the next Superdog. It was like to go be the ambassador on this trip oh was that it okay yeah and then why wouldn't you want like an entourage of fucking like super dogs with you why would you two super dogs is way better than one super dog like i don't know what the fuck his problem was 100 percent. so Ugh. anyway the phantom zone criminals help swifty win the contest swifty becomes the super dog for at least this instance and then he leads both Crypto and Superboy into a kryptonite death trap. Like, there's literally a spring that, like, hurls kryptonite at them. And then, at the last second, Crypto manages to blast Swifty with the duplicate ray, which creates a bizarro Swifty, who's good as opposed to the original version. Superboy comes up with a potion... Or, sorry, the bizarro Swifty saves everybody. 
And then Superboy comes up with a potion that strips Swifty's powers and restores his good nature. And then he he creates a collar that repels the Phantom Zone ghost so they can't control the dog again. And that's it. Like, Swifty's apparently this sad homeless dog in Smallville who just gets sad every time that he sees Superboy and Crypto fly by. And he thinks about how he wants to be Superboy's dog again. I'm like... It's really depressing. And I would never do that to Carl, for the record. I would never. I mean, yeah, this this issue definitely rubbed me the wrong way just for that, where I'm like, God, Superboy, you couldn't even find a home for the dog who tracked you down across the country and just wanted to be your friend. Like, you're fucking Superboy. Have two fucking dogs. Like, I don't know how difficult this is. <laughs> like, well, we're Martha. Martha's like, no, we've already got one super dog in the house. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Ah. <laughs> uh. No, this one's just normal now, I swear. Between the two of us, we have four dogs. So, I mean, we're we're definitely the wrong audience for this. Oh, but I mean, sure. And I bought this comic for the fact that there were like super dogs on there. I got very excited. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is that there's a whole menagerie of super pets. Like you eventually get like Comet the super horse. Like it's. Oh, wow. No, there, there was a monkey. There was, I think, I think it was Streaky the super cat too. Oh, no. It's not like, you know, there wasn't a whole collection of super pets, but whatever. I don't like. Yeah. What did you think of this? <laughs> Since you haven't told, started telling me already. No, <laughs> God. I, okay. It reminded me that Superman and Superboy stories from this era just a lot of times don't make any sense. Like I have. So I have a collection from the late 80s called The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told. And it's got stories from the 40s to the 80s. And even those early great stories and quotes, they're eh, pretty out there. And neither of these stories are anywhere close to what's contained in that book. I don't know. My biggest complaint is how Superboy's logic is always terrible. Like, why does Fred need to be made into another version of Superboy in order to gain confidence? Why not just help him with the core issue, which is that nobody wants to adopt him from the Smallville Orphanage, which, again, lol. Yeah, like, what does it have, two orphans in there? It just, it seemed like helping him find a family would do a lot more good. And likewise, why not just adopt Swifty, too? Like, it's shitty and it's dumb. But all of this reminded me of the site called Super Dickery, which I showed you. Yes. It You know, it was the site that's originally focused on the absolute insanity of Superman comic covers, so many of these comics would feature things like Superman just bucking over his friends. That was a repeated theme for years. There's one where he has Lois Lane strapped to the grill of a truck and he's flying out after he drove it off a cliff and just saying something to the effect of, well, see you later, Lois. <laughs> Holy shit. Or there's another one where Aquaman and Jimmy Olsen are dying of thirst in a desert and Superman's just lording over them with this pitcher of water. The site was around at least in 2005, which is when I first came across it. It's kind of defunct now. And I don't think it's been updated for a couple of years, but you can go back on archive.org and just scroll through all these things. The tagline was Superman's a dick. And here's the evidence. And it's great. Like that is a way to kill an afternoon. Let me tell you. Oh, I definitely checked out a few of those today and I was rolling. Oh, they're so good. Rolling. He definitely came off as an asshole in this comic oh, like yeah no question no question you know what makes me the the most mad is that 
He has the ability to give Swifty superpowers. He has the ability to make both dogs talk. Oh my god, yeah. What the fuck are you doing? There's a cover on Super Dickery where it's young Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, and they've created a computer that lets them see the future. And like, hey, we're going to grow up to be crime fighters and superheroes. We're going to be best friends. And it's like, cool. You know what else would be useful? I don't know. Maybe telling Bruce Wayne that his parents are going to get murdered and it can be avoided. (laughs) Seriously. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, but then he wouldn't have his homie. Superboy is just all in it for himself. Yeah. And like, why does he just have something lying around that has phantoms that can get out? Why does he have that? It doesn't make any sense. We don't have another two hours to discuss the Phantom Zone. <laughs> Kal-El, you silly boy. <laughs> so let's let's move on to the other comic we read, okay. which we're just going to be just as angry about. Anyway. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. In case you were wondering. So what happened in issue number 110? Because I did get sequential ones, which is great. Kind of. <laughs> Right. Okay, so again, we have two stories. We have The Surrender of Superboy and The Runt of Steel. The Surrender of Superboy story is the one that we actually get on the cover. It's Superboy and Crypto losing a tug-of-war match to some old man, and we're basically told, well, you won't believe who the old man is. In The Surrender of Superboy, Clark Kent and Lana Lang travel to South America to accompany her, I guess he's a college professor dad on an archaeological dig. One of the flowers recovered is this legendary hate flower, which causes any living being that smells it to hate the first human they see after smelling that. They're like very specific that it's you will hate the first human. Yeah. When they get back to Smallville, Lana smells the hate flower by accident. She sees Superboy flying outside and then dun, 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 winds up developing an intense hatred for the Boy of Steel. She grabs, I think it's like, it's, do we ever get a name for this thing? It's like a devil's mask. I think she just calls it devil's mask because it's a devil's witch mask or something like that on the wall. It's very vague again. So she's in this museum. She grabs the thing off the wall because there's no fucking security anywhere. And it specifically says what it does, where it says the person who wears this can summon souls or spirits from the past and have them obey them for an hour. (laughs) And then she starts using it to cause trouble. Sir Lancelot and then George Washington are her first minions, but they refuse to help because. They claim that they've heard about Superboy's heroic deeds in, even in the past, which... That do, no, I, no, no, it's not a thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, I can't, man. It's so dumb. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, "What? what is actually going on right now? I literally stopped reading for a few minutes after that. Everything about the story feels like monkeys at a typewriter. Yes. So then... She summons Merlin to humiliate Superboy at this super strength exhibition that he's doing in order to benefit the old folks home. And Merlin, it turns out, is the old man who beats him in the tug of war on the cover, which, by the way, this is like three panels in the comic, and it's not that big a deal. It's really a nod. Yeah. After that, she summons Edgar Allan Poe and Sherlock Holmes because she says they're the two greatest detective minds of the past. So they help her solve a jewel heist that Superboy can't. And then she frames Superboy by having Hercules, Samson, and Atlas tear apart the Smallville Scientific Institute. Um, Let's see. She summons Venus, Helen of Troy, and Juliet to basically seduce Superboy. 
And then she spurns him at a dance. And also, I'm sorry, but really, Juliet? Like, come on. <laughs> Juliet was a child who fell into a situation and was a tragic figure. Juliet was a stupid teenager. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't even. I'm sorry. She probably had acne, and <laughs> Superboy definitely had that hair where it was brushed forward and then spiked up in the front. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Fucking assholes, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so she spurns him at this dance, and her dad gets mad at her. He's like, I heard you were very rude to Superboy. It's like... <laughs> <sighs> uh, Which, by the way, the fact that he wears that fucking suit to every occasion, like, come on, dude. <sighs> I, I just love that Can idea. You have like a literal suit, like a super suit that actually looks nice. Just get something like get a nice navy blue kind of slim fitting suit. Have an ascot popping out with your Superman logo. All the girls would be all over you. It'd be great. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine the Kent's first trip to a fancy restaurant where they have to like get the the borrow jacket? Like oh, the loader jacket yeah. from the restaurant because he's wearing his stupid ass suit. And they're like, oh, so excuse me. <laughs> he's just walking around with his cape <laughs> sticking out from under the jacket. <laughs> I would read that comic. I would too. <laughs> anyway, so finally Lana decides to pull Jor-El, Superboy's dad, from the past in order to help her discover Superboy's secret identity. Instead of, I don't know reuniting Jor-El with his son who he never got to release but whatever okay Jor-El gives her this device that's supposed to detect Kryptonians it leads her to a closet where Crypto the super dog is Crypto shakes himself and basically gives off a bunch of dust that actually counteracts the flowers uh, hate pollen and it turns out that Superboy and Lana's dad switched the mask with a dummy once they realized what was going on and then her dad disguised himself as Jor-El and then everything just goes back to normal and nothing matters yeah where again they have access to these devices that are like powerful and they like have instructions on the wall but don't use them like he literally says to his daughter at one point like oh well stay away from the superstition side of things it's quite dangerous mm -hmm. she's like oh what's that let me check out this mask <laughs> so freaking ridiculous yeah so then we get the second story, which is the super runt of steel, which is about a criminal named Pee Wee Reagan, who we don't know who this dude is, but he shows up at this dilapidated house. He pays some amoral super scientist to grant him superpowers. Pee Wee goes on a crime spree that even Superboy can't stop because Superboy's powers are weirdly fading for no real reason. Pee Wee flies away to a distant planet because he spotted treasure inside it. He gets to the planet, he wrecks a bunch of the alien robots that are there, and then goes inside this vault that's full of space gems and minerals, and he winds up screaming in pain. Superboy finds out the scientist, it turns out, leached his powers and transferred them over to Pee-wee, and he's able to track the criminal to the aforementioned planet, and it turns out Pee-wee died because the vault also contained kryptonite, and then Superboy buries Pee-wee and flies away. The end. Because he somehow gets his powers back by just being around him. I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. Everything about this issue just made me roll my eyes. And a lot of the stories from this era, if you go back and read a lot of these things, they had those kind of surprise endings that just feel so dumb these days. Like, it was that weird, ironic twist. 
they're not really ironic because they don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, they're just kind of like a left field thought. Yeah, there's a lot that just doesn't work. And it's like if you go down this very specific logic train that these writers force you along, it's like, you know, the whole thing with having Lana's dad disguise himself as Jarrell, like Superboy just knew that this was going to be the next step. You're like, all right, well, <laughs> I don't know. And then also, I'm sorry, but she's supposed to be calling all of these characters from history, all these spirits or, or people from history. And then it's gods and fictitious characters like Lancelot and Juliet and uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> No, they were really contrived figures. I mean, even when they had real people in there, they weren't used to their purpose. <laughs> no, and it's one of those things where you read it and you're like, this is just, this is so dumb. Oh, it's Samson and Hercules? Okay, whatever. Why not? Random characters from the Bible and Greek mythology. Why not? Dude, where do I even start on this issue, though? The, I had so many problems. The beginning when the scientists negate the word of the locals is superstition, even though it actually did have dangerous poisonous properties to it. Oh, yeah, like the hate flower? Yeah, where... Yeah. They're like, oh, it's just a myth. Because there's a whole thing where one of the burrows winds up attacking a guide, and then when they sit there and say, oh, he must have like gotten near the hate flower, and they're like, oh, no, it just got bit by a fly. Like, All right. Yeah, and the scientists are like, I mean, gosh darn, how big of a supremacist asshole do you have to be to not trust the people who live there to know anything about the plants that they have been living with their whole lives. I truly don't understand that. Yeah. And then the scientists were like, oh, whoopsie daisy. I guess they were right. Chuckle, chuckle. Ugh. Yikes. Yeah. This was also still a period in time where anyone who was not white, especially native populations, were viewed with a healthy degree of just kind of, well, like you said, like supremacy. Like if you go back and read those old Tintin books, oof. Oh, yeah, I've read some of those in the original French and they're yeah. Yeah. And if you go back and and read those and then like up until really. I want to say the 70s or 80s was when things started to get a little bit better, but even mainstream comics in the 60s were still pretty awful when it came to depicting people who weren't white. Yeah, there was that whole segregation thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just that. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was really gross when the quote-unquote historical women came to give her beauty advice so that she could do seduce Superboy. Like, that was so contrived and odd and sexist and strange. Yeah. Or the part where Superboy is not only supposed to be earning money for an old person's home he's also making ageist jokes about the quote-unquote old man that ends up beating him right him and his dog at tug of war yeah but then the comic itself is so obviously like they so obviously made it ageistly clear (laughs) that this man only beat superboy because he was merlin the wizard which yikes guys i know people way older than me that could kick my ass at most anything So that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, or the fact that the little guys or men that are like smaller in stature or timid, they are constantly the ones that need quote unquote saving by Superboy in these really odd, like vague ways. Like they need to get physical strength to be appreciated. 
and it's super toxic. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of hinges on the old ideas of masculinity as well. Oh, and I'm sorry. Why is Lana's dad keeping, again, keeping legit magic items where people can access them? It just, I, I cannot get past that because they just have all this shit sitting around where people are like, oh, let me touch this. Look, here's the thing. Like, gun control wasn't a thing back then. You think they're going to seriously guard supernatural weapons of destruction? That is a valid point. That is so valid. <laughs> <laughs> At least he wasn't mistreating his dog in this issue, I guess. I guess. That we can see? I don't know. He locked him in a closet for a few hours. Shit, that's right. Never mind. Fuck. So that wraps up our Superboy conversation. Right. Let's move on to our brain wrinkles. And this is the one thing comics or comics adjacent that's just been rattling around in your brain since the last time we talked. Yeah. So I was going to talk about Free Comic Book Day and how I was originally pretty excited about it, but now we're recording this a couple of weeks before Free Comic Book Day is going to happen, and we are still in the middle of a pandemic when we record this. The Delta strain has started to rear its ugly head and lead to cases spiking all over the place, including here in the Bay Area. So as someone who has immunocompromised kids who are too young to get the vaccine still, we're not going to be able to participate. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm instead going to talk about the Suicide Squad and actually how I'm really excited about that movie and it's getting rave reviews and it's opening this week on HBO Max and in theaters. And then because people can't leave shit well enough alone, David Ayer, the director of the original Suicide Squad movie, talked about how this one is great, but then he proceeded to shit all over Warner Brothers and talked about how the version of just Suicide Squad that got released back in 2016 was not his version of the film and how it's terrible and he wants vindication now and I just, I can't go through another Snyder Cut. I just, I don't I'm have... i like... You know, at least, okay, at least it's... At least it's not the Justice League. At least it's Suicide Squad. But, like, the Snyder Cut almost broke me. No, I hear you. <laughs> I already don't like... I already wasn't, like, on board and I had to watch, like... So much Justice League that weekend. I remember. (laughs) And I had prequel films I had to watch. No. I don't want to do this again. I don't. I can't. I I am happy to talk about Suicide Squad, the comic. and, And I'm pretty sure that I'll be jazzed up to talk about it after this movie. But I just, I can't bring myself to care about these auteur directors who are just when I was working in the video games industry, we had this term that we, we used for certain people who were on the development side, who were all about their vision and how they wouldn't compromise anything. And we, we just referred to them as the genius babies because they would have these ungodly meltdowns. And I can't bring myself to, to just, I can't bring myself to care about another genius baby throwing a temper tantrum. I don't want it. Yeah. How about you? Wow. What is uh what is sitting in your head these days? Well, I've been thinking a lot about representation in the media, including comic books, and that's partially because we've been reading all these old comics where we don't see a lot of different representation. Right. Versus the comics that I'm drawn to, which are full of representation because that's what I prefer to read. I want to see everyone. 
And it's been really nice to read Destiny in New York and some of these other recent comics that actually show different types of bodies, different skin tones, different sexualities and genders. But I think there's so much more that we need to do and that can be done to add and continue to build upon that representation. Like just in general, it's 2021 and we're still shaming people for being a certain size and, you know, Mm -hmm. airbrushing people who are already considered to be the epitome of beauty in our society. Like, what is it going to take for us to allow people to just exist as we are? I mean, you know, besides the whole capitalist bullshit game telling women they need more and more products to achieve beauty. But (laughs) aside from that, but (laughs) it's giving me. It's definitely making me feel better to see more, all of the representation, but there again, it just reminds me that that we need more. I was going to say, it's that reminder of we've come a long way, but we need to go further. Yep, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. You had mentioned your inability to go to Free Comics Day, and I feel like there are probably a lot of people who had a really difficult time getting anywhere to go to something like that, you know? And yeah. so thinking about accessibility in that way of, what about those readers? Like, what are we doing about them? So, you know, it's just something I think about. I work in social services, too. I mean, I'm just, I'm a bleeding heart, but we need people like me or else, I don't know, get rid of that. We don't need people like me. <laughs> <laughs> so no. that's that's what's been rattling for me. It's just more of a continuous, disappointed buzz in my brain that we don't respect all people. Yeah, well, we do on this podcast. So on that uplifting note, that's it for today. But stay tuned for another episode in two weeks. And until then, we'll see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Fraser and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Fraser and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who goes by Look Mom Draws on Instagram. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is TencentTakes. Jessica is Jessica with a, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And I am Vansau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.